Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the David Button to my Alex Palmer. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. I'm not sleep deprived. I'm not tipsy now. I'm, I am fully recovered from what was a a good night, but a horrendous morning after. It makes for a nice change that you've turned up to a podcast and you're not tipsy, to be quite <laughs> honest. Um, otherwise, keeping well? Keeping well, yeah. I'm shopping for a new car. I, I only bought my Mini last year. Um, I'm, I'm going fully electric. And the only reason why I'm getting my Mini is because I feel like I'm going to tear my ACL every time I get out of it. Oh, good. Good. Well, I'm, I'm glad that's not happened yet. You can ask me how I am. Uh, no, you're on holiday, so why would anyone care? You, you, you're sunning it up in, in Australia. New Zealand, so <laughs> still got it wrong. Um, I mean, most normal, nice people ask, how's your holiday going, that kind of thing. But I, I've come to expect nothing less from you no. at this point, because I think in the, how many episodes we've done now? Something like nearly 200, maybe even more. Um, and I think you've asked me how I am a total of, like fine, Ryan. Fine. How are you? Yeah, I don't don't want to let you know anymore because okay. you know I've I've had a great time, but you clearly could care less, and I won't want to bother you with that, Justin. But I hope every listener is all right, and I hope your day is going well so far. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. See, I care about how other people feel, Justin, including the listener, unlike you, who's just so self-centered all the time yeah. we're going to go through all the games from the championship in midweek including that huge clash at Bramall lane which has really set things open and and it's really thrown the cat amongst the pigeons in terms of the race for the top two so we'll talk about that talk about all the other games from midweek as well talk about some of the news from the past few days including the return of neil warnock at huddersfield and then we'll finish off with did he or didn't he right at the end so as i say let's begin with a potentially game-changer result in the race for the top two. Sheffield United won, Middlesbrough three. What a game, Justin, which could have big ramifications come May. It certainly could, and it was a fantastic game. It, it, it says something that I was asked by two people over WhatsApp, are you watching the Arsenal City game? I was like, no, I'm watching Sheffield United Borough. Um, and I say that with complete pride in, and love for the championship. Um, but it, it was a really good spectacle and a really good advert for the championship. You've got two teams here who are in good form. Borough were exceptional going forward. Sheffield United a little bit sloppy, but still um, still contributed to a really good game. But my word, Borough were absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that second half performance was clinical, aggressive, um, fast breaks. It was such a good all-round performance from them. It was, it was, it was bonkers. And to say Carrick's only been in charge since um, October, November. Yeah, no right, absolutely no right. Yeah, it was a hugely frustrating game for Sheffield United, so much so that Paul Hackingbottom was sent off for booting the substitutes board mm. after the third goal went in. I don't think they played great, but still had some good chances, which were just wasted. And Middlesbrough, on the other hand, they took their chances when they came to them, didn't they? And mm -hmm. it was great to see Cameron Archer getting the score sheet twice. I am... Such a big fan of his. He has that goal-scoring instinct. And when he is one-on-one, -on -one, you back him to score every time. And I think it's just because of his composure, which, considering how old is he? He's early 20s, isn't he? 20, he must yeah. be 21, 22. For him to have such composure like he has shown every time I've seen him in the championship, 
is pretty remarkable in itself. But it's not just his finishing and his composure. It's what he can bring to the team off the ball as well. He's so good at linking up the play and running at defenders as well. Amazing, really, that Aston Villa haven't given him more of a go. Mm. Considering, I think if Cameron Archer was a Middlesbrough player, he'd be having so many Premier League clubs sniffing around him trying to get his signature this summer. Whereas Villa, because he's on their books, and I think this is just a Premier League kind of thing where you've got a player coming through the academy, but they're not willing to give him a chance, then then it's only, you know, the benefit of the championship side who gets him on loan that, uh, that he's not getting more of a chance in the Premier League because he should be, really, because he's yeah. clearly a very talented player. Um, and I'm just glad that he's, you know, showing what he's made of in a Middlesbrough shirt. And it's, as I say, it's all, all the better for them, really, isn't it? It seemed for ages, of course, like the top two race was over already. I think me and you had pretty much said it was done and dusted by around Christmas time, didn't we, Justin? <laughs> but maybe... That's not the case after all. It, it was always going to take a Herculean effort. Her, her, Herculean, her, Herculean. Herculean effort for anyone to catch up with the top two once it. And let's be honest, that's exactly what we're seeing here. It's not like Sheffield United are makers of their own downfall in any way, shape or form, is it? They've won 35 points from a possible 42. Um, whereas Middlesbrough have now won 37 points from their last 45 so they're keeping pace with that top two. And I think these three teams at the top of the championship are just outstanding, aren't they? It, if Millsbrook, in fact, I said this on Sun, in Sunday's episode, if it wasn't for, you know, the top two being as far ahead as they were, Millsbrook would be, yeah, yeah. you know, an automatic promotion contender or be sat in the top two, I should say, um, in a normal season. But because of how good that standard of the top three has been this season, it's made it all the more difficult. But now it leaves us with a very interesting final 15 games after this result, doesn't it? Sheffield United have been getting results, but I've been saying quite a lot recently, I don't think they've been playing amazingly. I think their performances have definitely dropped off in recent weeks. And whether that's a trend that's going to keep happening, I don't know. Middlesbrough still have ground to make up, of course, but they're getting results and playing well. They don't look like they're stopping. In fact, you may even argue that they're getting better and better. And that's what makes this so much more interesting. Of course, all the pressure is on Sheffield United at this point Mm -hmm. because they're the ones ahead of Middlesbrough. And every time they drop the ball, Middlesbrough look like they're going to take advantage of it, Justin. I think that's the key thing is as long as Middlesbrough stay within a... Uh, yeah, within arms distance of um, or yeah, within arms distance of Sheffield United, the room of a shout. That's that's what it is. But the the you know, Sheffield United are certainly in the driving seat. They are the ones in control of this situation. They've got a seven point gap. They've got a better goal difference, and they've got a game in hand. Um, so all Sheffield United can do is is is, is you know, keep putting points on the board, um, and this should be fine. But obviously, it's not that straightforward ever in the Championship. And Middlesbrough being in the form they're in. Just, just raise that question whether or not they can catch them. But they've got to have a near-perfect end to the season. They've got to replicate the form that they've shown over the last 15 games and do it again. Um, really difficult thing to do. But um, with the attack that they've got, the squad that they've got, it's not inconceiv- inconceivable. We thought that we, they were going to do this at the start of the season under Chris Wilder. They didn't, and they're doing it now. So it's not really a surprise. Um, it's just a... you know. A massive turnaround in, in, in fortunes, really. So, yeah, they could certainly be within a shout, but Sheffield and I don't have all of the control. In a big game between two relegated sides, Burnley dropped points for the first time in 10 games as they drew one all with Watford. 
Burnley would have become the first team in championship history to win 11 games on the trot if they got the three points here. Still not an achievement to be sniffed at winning 10 in a row, I suppose. I think they've become only the third team Mm. in championship history to do that. So still a remarkable effort from them. Michael Obafemi equalised in the 94th minute, his first goal for the Clarets. It was a scrappy one, wasn't it? But an exciting one. Uh, Vincent Company admitted individuals weren't at their best here, but thought it was still a good point. Would you agree, Justin? It is a good point. On the face of it, um, they could have lost the game. They could have lost the game 1-0 and it would have been disappointing. Um, And I think as well as that, um, earning a point like this in this manner, late equaliser, they still played relatively well. I thought they created a lot of good chances. They were just relatively quite wasteful in front of goal. Um, But equalising in the last minute, I think that's going to give them more confidence going into the weekend than just a a routine 2-0 win would have. Because um, everyone's going to be buoyed by, yeah, the late drama um, and 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 the never say die attitude as it as it's always coined. So, yeah, I think it is a good point. Um, Watford have some good players, although they're just underperforming at the moment under Billich. Um, I think that's the only the only difference between the two sides is one's underperforming, not hit their level yet, whereas one has. Um, but yeah, certainly a good point for for Burnley. And yeah, not one not one eleven in a row, but it just goes to show how difficult it is to put a run of form like that together it is inconceivable to think how many times it could happen again. Burnley the third team to do it. Sequence tells you it's not going to be it's not going to be a long time till the team does it again. Aaron Murich made a right mess of the Watford gold into a through ball. He ended up kneeing into the air. The Watford play still had a bit to do before it ended up in the back end there, but Murich had completely lost his head by that point and was so out of position that he kind of made two mistakes in mm. one passage of play. So uh, that was an interesting moment for him. At the end of the day, Burnley aren't going to win every game. Oh, mate, let's be honest, it's just impossible <clears throat> for that to happen. So dropping points against a fellow relegated side, Fair enough. Just saying, for Burnley to beat the 106-point record, they could still afford to drop seven points over their final 15 games. So, considering they nearly went 11 games where they won (laughs) that many on the trot, they'll have to do it again, or something similar to that form. Um, But it's not out of the realms of possibility with this team, is it? Slavon Bilic said his side should have been disappointed about not holding on to all three points here, which says a lot about how well they played against by far the best team in the league. They defended so well in this before a set piece right at the death, but it was a lot better than what we've seen recently from Watford, won it? Yes and no. I mean, you're coming up against the best team in the league, so your standards differ slightly and your perception of your performance differs slightly. Um, but I still think there's a lot of potential that needs tapping into with this team. So on the face of it, point is probably a good result for Watford, but after João Pedro scored, they only had one shot on target, didn't really create anything. Um, and as I say, I, I just expect a lot more with this, this uh, Watford team. I think Billich is encountering the same issues he encountered in the second half of the season at, at West Brom, whereby they were very clinical, relied very heavily on Matic Pereira, um, and they struggled to create a consistent, um, consistent amount of chances, um, and they and they limped over the line, if you may. Um, so yeah, I do think um, I do think that that means the pressure is going to be on Billich. I'm not saying Billich should be sacked, um, but I'm saying that we need a Daniel Farker type um, team here where it's just 4-3-3-2, where it's just attack, 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 because I, I think that's the potential in this Watford team, in this Watford attack. Um, I want to see more from it. Didn't see it against Burnley. Um, so I, I was I was on the other side of the fence. I was disappointed with the performance. I'm, I'm, I find this Watford side very, very strange. I think defensively they're a very solid side. This was 
this game against Burnley was a very good example of that. And they've only been solidified by the signings of Hoyt and Porteous. Mm-hmm. I thought Hassan Kamara was excellent as well. Someone someone who's a bit erratic at times, but he does have a few games where you look at him and you think you're a very, very good player. It's going forwards where I've got concerns, which shouldn't really be an issue considering the players they've got. They've got Ishmael Asar, Keenan Davis, etc. But João Pedro is the only one who you can rely on to definitely give you something in each game. So thank God for them that he's back. He could be the difference maker for Watford because they have been kind of just dwindling recently. Mm-hmm. And I've been a bit worried about them. But, you know, Pedro's return is just so important for them because arguably he is the best player in the division and gives Watford so much more going forward. So they've got a lot of work to do to make sure they do fit, end up with a playoff place, but hopefully Pedro can make that happen. Two late goals from Jack Clark helped Sunderland win 3-0 away at QPR. Will Ferrell was at this game for some reason, and you had Sunderland cutting through here like Blades of Glory. Jack Clark, the anchor man, and then QPR left, truly kicking and screaming. Yeah. Um, let's not be that sort of podcast. <laughs> Uh, I I was quite clever personally yeah I mean it was but come on we're better than that I mean I quotes him ahead Will Farrell quotes him ahead Um, but I'm not going to I was just going to tiger not play no shit (laughs) 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 Um, obviously from a Sunderland perspective but it it was um, a superb performance from Sunderland I thought they controlled the game I know QPR made made a certain amount of errors um, and, and I had Look on the side a little bit. Obviously, did the Engera and Patterson saving uh, penalties saved all of his penalties this season. He's faced, by the way, three um, three penalties saves this season, which is uh, interesting. Um, but just how good a Sunderland with technical ability through their team is just absolutely bonkers. Um, obviously, you mentioned Jack Clark, um, Barr, Roberts. They were both scintillating with the ball at the feet. And I think when you've got players like that with that much individual quality, um, it's just annoying that they don't have the Ross Stewart type forward just to knit it together for the second half of the season. It's really frustrating, but Joe Gohart did look sharp. Um, and yeah, yeah, really, really good performance. I'm really impressed with him. On the topic of Will Ferrell quotes, I'm guessing Neil Critchley is in a glass box of emotion at this point, <laughs> isn't he? because it's really not going well for them. But we'll, we'll talk about them a bit more <laughs> in a sec. In terms of this game, it was so one-sided. QPR, as you say, missed the penalty, Justin, but it was essentially the only chance mm. they had. And Sunderland possibly could have won this by more. Keeping our words helped by Senny Dieng dropping a massive clangor. Still have no idea how he messed that one up, but in terms of gaffes of the season, that's got to be right up there. It was a great showing by Sunderland, who don't seem as affected by Ross Stewart's injury this time around as they did the last time, based off the three games he's been missing for anyway. I really like Sunderland. They've got some great young players who have been cast aside by big clubs, the likes of Jack Clark getting the brace here. Patrick Roberts as well has been exceptional in the last couple of months. They play really nice football, arguably the best in the league. They've got a very respectable manager in the form of Tony Mowbray and they're getting results too. They're a very likeable side, especially after how much they've struggled over the past few years. The fans have certainly been through the ringer a bit, haven't they? Mm. And they're now sat in the playoffs and will fancy their chances of getting a playoff place. I know you said not too long ago, Justin, you didn't think they'd get there after Stuart's injury. I'm a bit more hopeful than you. I will admit 
I think other clubs are probably more likely than them. But Sunderland have come on great bounds this season, and that's really encouraging for them getting back to the Premier League in the not-too-distant future, even if it doesn't happen this season. One win into 16 for QPR. Remember when Mick Beale committed his future to the club in mid-October? Well, they've only won two games since then and have fallen from 1st to 17th. They've scored the fewest goals in that time and conceded the second most in the whole of the division. Beale has obviously left since then and they've had Neil Critchley in charge. But it's amazing how their downturn in form can be pinpointed to that exact moment. And yet, that doesn't seem to make sense, Justin. I don't know what could have changed since then to make the drop-off so bad. Because also, if Bill commits his future to the club, surely that's a good thing. But in, in, in this case, it seems to have been a bad thing. <laughs> it's strange, isn't it, Alex, how it's worked out? I think it's just a coincidence that the uh, bad runner form <clears throat> sort of coincided with that um, with that commitment. Um it's, yeah, it's, it's it's really hard one to to nail down, um, and I'm I'm struggling to to find excuses for Neil Critchley. I've done it for the past couple of weeks now, um, and at this point, I'm just like, I think the only thing keeping him out at his club is the fact it's going to be very expensive to sack him. Um, obviously, a long contract. I think it's wait, is it three and a half year deal he signed or two and a half year deal? Anyway, still going to cost a fair bit of money to to sack him, um, and I think that's the only reason why I can see him staying until the end of the season because. This run of form is just completely atrocious. And I don't think it is his fault. I don't think it was all down to him. And even if you look at this game in isolation, um, they're on the other end of fine margins. As I say, that Dieng Klanger um, quite early on in the game, the, the penalty save, it was a good penalty save from Patterson with, the, with his toe, essentially. Um, so, yeah, they're on the other end of some, some, um, some bad luck as well. But at the same time, the performances have been consistently poor. Um, and uh, I struggled to see them getting out of it. I did say that it, I can't see it continuing this bad run, but I can't see it ending either. It's a really weird situation. Really, really desperate as well. Yeah, it seems like the end may be nigh for Neil Critchley. I saw rumours on social media that he was about to be sacked, but I couldn't find any confirmed source for those rumours. So I don't know how true it actually is, but... It seems like QPR fans aren't sure who's to blame about this whole situation. I don't think anyone is critically in at this point from what mm. I'm seeing. But I've seen many fingers point to that. Les Ferdinand as well, the head of football operations, the players. Everything just seems to have gone badly in a very short space of time. And as I say, we can pinpoint it to the moment Mick Beale committed his future to the club. But... I feel like there must be something more to this whole situation to make it go so awry so quickly. Mm. Easy to forget, QPR were top of the table in mid-October and now they've dropped down to 17th. It's one hell of a turnaround. I can't recall too many as bad as this. And maybe in another season where the bottom four or five teams weren't so poor, they could be in danger of going down. I yeah. think that would be pretty remarkable if that were to see them actually get dragged into a relegation battle at this point, but it says a lot about how bad their form has been recently. In Huddersfield's first game since appointing Neil Warnock, they were beaten 3-0 away at Stoke. Is worth saying Warnock wasn't in charge for this game. His first one is at the weekend. We'll talk more about his appointment in the news, but I don't think he would have felt too great watching this. Huddersfield had three shots all game. They're coming up against a team who are just a few places ahead of them, just a few points ahead of them, and they put in a performance as miserable as that. Not much else to say on Huddersfield in this game, just without discussing the Warlock appointment, because I want to save that for the news. All we can say about this game is 
Huddersfield were awful. Mm-hmm. We know they're not a great side anyway. This was arguably their worst performance of the season so far. And Warnock has truly got his hands full. Anything that you can say here, just without spoiling our chat about Warnock? Well, they were dreadful. They were dreadful. Um, they made a inconsistent team who have been floating above the bottom three look like a team chasing the top two. Um, and that's not a disrespectful thing to say to Stoke. I saw a lot of Stoke fans surprised by their performance and surprised how poor Huddersfield were. Um, they've got experience in that in that team. Waghorn was dreadful. Knockyart was dreadful. I mean, Knockyart in possession still plays like he's 20 years old, um, where he's wasteful. And this is the frustration with Knockyart because he's got all the ability in the world. Um, but he just lacks that um, that edge to his game that has, could have made him a very, very good player um, in the Premier League, that is. Um, yeah, it was just awful. Um, uh, yeah, it's summed up by Tom Lees's dreadful attempt at um, stopping Jacob Brown for the penalty, wasn't it? It was a dreadful, dreadful tackle. And he knew it. He, it was a laboured, tired tackle. It was a, I don't give a shit about this anymore sort of tackle. Not let, not putting the finger at Tom Lees, that's what it came across as. Um, and that's all I can say about the performance. It was poor. Has Neil Warnock managed Anthony Nokia before? It feels like those two should have crossed paths, but I can't no. think off the top of my head that they no, would have. No, no, no. That that seems remarkable because Nokia is probably one of the best championship players ever, just in terms of what he's done in the past. And <clears> Warnock <throat> is probably the, the the main choice for best manager ever. So it feels like those two should have been you know connected before, but I don't think they have, which is a strange quirk. But anyway, good win for Stoke. An amazing header by Phil Jagielka. It felt like it was in the air for ages before nestling in the back of the net. He had a really good game, actually, here. Uh, this season, without a doubt, is going to go down as a very disappointing one for Stoke as a whole. No one's arguing it's not. And maybe in another season, they could have been in serious danger of going down as well. But I'll tell you what, I looked at the starting level from this game, Justin. Pretty tidy, good personnel, a lot more functional than how it was working before. And it just made me think could be a lot better next season. Mm-hmm. doesn't help that this team, well, half the team's on loan, but the bones yeah. are there of a decent side. And we've said this previously about Stoke, but surely the only way is up from from this point. But you never know. It's, it seems to have been going in one direction previously. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Cardiff's first win in 13 and Norwich coming from a goal down to beat Hull. Welcome back to the second tier podcast. Cardiff won their first game of 13 thanks to two late goals against Birmingham. 2-0 it finished. This was a poor game. (laughs) I watched the highlights of this to refresh my memory and the best chance of the first half was a deflected shot from outside the box. It was by no means a classic, but undeniably a huge, huge three points for Cardiff, isn't it? I can't imagine being in that away end when that um, paying a a free kick goes in. I... It was just pandemonium, limbs, everything. The emotions just riding through. Not only to score a goal and take the lead, um, but it, yeah, what a win for Cardiff. Um, it was a poor game, but Cardiff, their game plan was fun. Well, it was fantastic. It was it was a brilliant game plan. Um, they wanted to stay stay behind the ball, make it as difficult as possible for Birmingham. They did that. Um, a really good away performance where they were clinical, take a clean sheet as well. Callum Robinson got on the score sheet. Yeah, that... It's very hard to sort of convey um, 
the, or, or summarise this game because just the emotional side of it from a Cardiff perspective will just completely overtake it. Um, and obviously we're not Cardiff fans. We weren't there either. So it's really difficult to summarise, but you can't overstate how important that win was, especially with the bottom three dropping points um, and the confidence boost this will give the team. Yeah, absolutely monumental. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what a free kick by Perry NG. He, I did not know he had that in his locker, but that was absolutely beautiful. I think he was saying before that yeah. um, he had to wrestle the ball off a few players because uh, they did not fancy him to take that one. But I think he, he scored one in training. Yeah, he scored uh, the last one in training and thought, okay, I've got this. I'm a master. And he, and he was. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm David Beckham now. And that's all it takes, apparently, for Perry NG to pull something like that out of his locker. I was saying on Sunday that I've been seeing small signs of life from Cardiff. And this game was somewhat of an indicator that they're not just sinking without a trace, as they seem to be doing not too long ago. Sabri Lamushi is going to make them an ugly side. And that's what they need to be, because they're not the most dangerous of teams. But this game was an example of how they can grind out these things if need be. And they need to do that a lot more because I'm not really sure who's going down at this point. It is well and truly up in the air which which teams are actually <laughs> going to get relegated. This game could be a turning point for Cardiff and needs to be really because it's a big cliche, but every game is a cup final for them at this point. They've still got to play four of the five teams around them near the relegation mm. zone. They've got the South Wales derby and seven side derby to come. But as I say, it's becoming very difficult to predict which three teams are going down. I still assume it'll be three of the current bottom five, but all five now have good reasons for arguing that they'll stay up. And I don't think there's an obvious one going down at this point. So Cardiff need to take this as a sign that they're going to get better because they have been woeful uh, prior to this result. And Things have been getting better recently, but you see what I mean. It, it, it needs yeah, to be yeah. a lot better than what we've seen recently. Um, how on earth, Justin, can Birmingham go from playing as well as they did against West Brom to playing like this? It is truly mad, isn't it? I think the key stat to take away from this, and I saw it from Blue's Breakdown on Twitter, and, it's, and it was really interesting. And I, I've sort of um, noticed it as well in, in recent games or in, in past games. Six games this season where they've had 50% or more possession. Um, and they've lost every single one of those games. Against West Brom, West Brom had the lion's share of possession. Um, but Birmingham were fantastic on the break. Cardiff didn't allow them to break because Cardiff didn't allow them to... Um, well, have, well, Cardiff didn't have the ball. So Birmingham City had no had, had, had no way to break and, and utilise their strengths. And I think that's the key thing. And it's, it's quite interesting because they've got some really good technical players. But I just think it's their build-up play and approach play is down to being a fast counter-attacking side. Whereas if, you know... If you can get those technical players like Chong and Hannibal in around that final third and, and get balls into the box, it might work. But certainly they are set up to be a counter-attacking team. And if you've got a team who very stubborn, play very deep, you're not going to get many chances to do that. They didn't, and they looked very ordinary. Well, in the West Brom game, I think Birmingham could, could have scored about maybe <clears throat> three, four, maybe even five in that game. And I think all of their best chances came from breaks. Hmm. It was pretty remarkable in that respect. But Birmingham were 18th. They've lost six of their 10 games since the World Cup break. But we saw against West Brom how good this team could be. The problem is they've put in their fair share of performances similar to what we saw against Cardiff this season. And I think for me, they're probably the most frustrating team in the league. There are a few sides who are incredibly inconsistent and unpredictable. Stoke, Reading, Preston are just a few examples 
who come to mind in that regard. And mm. Birmingham are well amongst that group. But the difference is with Birmingham, when they're good, they're very good. The other teams I've just mentioned there don't come close to Birmingham when it comes to how good they are at their best. Despite everything going on off the pitch, I've been hugely impressed with them on numerous occasions. And they've got some brilliantly talented players who could quite easily play for top six sides. But over the past couple of months, there have been many more not-so-impressive performances Mm -hmm. than better ones. And that's where the frustration lies for me, because... This Birmingham team can be a lot better, but it just doesn't happen enough on a regular basis, unfortunately. Norwich came from a goal down to beat Hull 3-1. An utterly dominant display by Norwich, Justin. It was superb, wasn't it? And there there are some really good reasons as to why this was a fantastic result and performance. Firstly, Hull have conceded just three goals in six league games uh, prior to this and kept three clean sheets on the spin in the lead up to the the game at Coe Road. Norwich's home record is trash, let's make no bones about it, it's terrible. Um, and uh, as well as that, the character to come back into the game after four minutes um, is, is, a, is a massive plus. So there's, there's three key things there that are, you know, sort of exemplify how big this win was for, for Norwich. Um, but they were superb. And I think Dave Wagner admitted um, after the game that he, even if, he told his side, even if they concede first, to just stay relaxed. And, and they did that. And it was more of what we expect to see from Norwich under... Daniel Farker, for example, where they were just all out of attack. They were creative. They were relentless. Um, and it didn't give you time to come up for for, um, for air. It was a fantastic performance and one you can't um, can't get too carried away with because there are obvious caveats with Norwich. But again, this is a benchmark performance because he played a very good team in the hall and they swatted them aside. And that's the potential of this team. That's a frustrating thing. Yeah, considering Norwich's abysmal home form this season, this being just their second win at Carroll Road since mid-September and how they've played in their last couple of games, this was much better from them because this could have very easily been another banana skin for them. I think it's also proof that this Norwich team is strong and not as weak as many of their supporters have been making out. It's been a very common excuse for Norwich fans recently that they don't think this squad is actually that good, which I completely disagree with. It was a bold move by David Wagner to drop Timu Puki. It would be very interesting to know what the reason was behind that. But this is a massive, massive few weeks for Norwich because their next three games are Wigan away, Birmingham at home, Cardiff at home. For a team like Norwich, aiming to get in the top six, that should be nine points. Seven at the very least. It's a great chance to build some form and they really need to because they've got to keep pace with your Lutons, Watfords, etc. Who are the teams who Norwich should be looking at and thinking, right, these are our major rivals at this point. There are a few teams around there, but you know, Norwich are amongst that group of teams yeah. who are much more serious contenders than others. Also, a great goal by Gabriel Sara in this game. Norwich have basically done triangles all the way up the pitch. So for it to lead to a brilliantly taken goal by him is very pleasing on the eye. Uh, this was just Hall's second loss since the World Cup break. Not a great showing from them, but they've made a lot of progress over the past couple of months under Liam Rosinia. A late equaliser by Bren- Bren- Brereton Diaz earned Blackburn a point away at West Brom. One all, it finished. Carlos, Carlos Corbran said it felt like two points dropped, and I can certainly understand why he felt that way, Justin. Young Josh Griffiths was given a going goal. Uh, I think it was his West Brom debut, actually, after David Button's dodgy showings. And unfortunately, he'll have to take the blame for the equaliser. Barrington Diaz hit a free kick from the edge of the box, mm. which was very savable. 
and he's parried it into his own net. They've now lost a few points this season from goalkeeper errors, haven't they? And it could be costly come the end of the season with it being so tight around the top six. It's, yeah, I, I don't want to blame too, uh, don't blame Griffiths too much because he did make some good saves. Um, and you're he, always going to get remembered for those mistakes. And it is a big moment in the game. And obviously, uh, yeah, it's point shot at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, you are right. They have their goalkeepers have made a lot of errors. Players have made a lot of errors throughout um, the first, yeah, especially first few months of this season, which dogged them really. It was uh, really frustrating and sort of toe how poor they were at times. But um, yeah, it's two points drop. It's a good performance and, and a good reaction from the Birmingham City defeat. Um, I know it won't feel like it because they dropped points late equaliser. But again, whilst Griffiths put the you know, parried the ball into the back of the net. Why was the free kick given away on the edge of the box? There's that question as well. So a little bit of game management needs to be improved as well. Yeah, Corbrand did mention the lack of game management in the game from uh, the players. And I suppose that's certainly got to be another reason why they failed to wrap up the three points here. It is just one win in four now for them. And West Brom had previously been flying, haven't they? they? They've got a big week coming up with Watford away on Monday and then Middlesbrough at home. So two massive, massive games in the grand scheme of their season. Blackburn had gone the longest period in championship history without drawing a game and they've now drawn their last four league games. Uh, got to be said, draws away at Watford and West Brom. Not a bad couple of results for them in that respect. Swansea got just their third win in 15 league games by beating Blackpool 2-1. Blackpool were down to 10 men for the final third of the game, but Swansea won't care because, boy, oh boy, did they need a win. I think the key thing here is that they picked up three points. It's lifted the, it's lifted the mood, I think, or hopefully lifted the mood of the club because it's been a rough couple of weeks for them. Um and with that, I'm going to dampen it down a little bit. I don't think it was the best performance. While they did create some chances, Blackpool had a lot of chances themselves and looked a lot better when they went down to 10 men. Um, so that's the key thing here. But it's it's something I come to expect with this Swansea team is that they are always going to give opposition chances because they don't have enough experience. They don't have enough quality and depth to um, be a 90-minute team, if that makes sense. But the positive here is they were very good going forwards. Um, and they always are. They always they, they do always create chances. If you if you um, hark back to sort of the early months of Russell Martin's tenure, where it was just possession, 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 barely any chances being created, there is a nice progress there. So it just needs to balance out, and it'll be a good team. But that comes with better players. But um, yeah, certainly a good result. Certainly a good performance. Sorin Ola took his goal really well. Dangerous cross for the first, although there was no one around Callum Connolly when he put it in the back of the net. But who cares? It was an emphatic finish by Connolly once. It was just in his own net. Um, Swansea, despite only winning three of their last 15, only five points off the top six, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. I'd, be, I'd be amazed if that did happen at this point because they seem so far off it compared to other teams. Blackpool without a win in the league since late October. And that is an extraordinarily long time to go without seeing your team win, isn't it? I thought... They could pull away from the relegation battle because, you know, got new players in, some very, very good new players, got a new manager in. It's not happened so far and it needs to start happening, doesn't it? And fast because they're bottom of the league. Now, four points from safety. I do think they've been unlucky in each of their four games under McCarthy, but even if they're unlucky in their final 15 games, they'll still be going down, won't they? Because it's all about getting points on the board and that's not happening. I'd like to see more from Josh Bowler. He's a wonderfully talented player, as we know from what we've seen over the past couple of years with him. But 
I found him a bit underwhelming in the handful of games he's played so far since returning to Bloomfield Road. I'd probably like to see more of Morgan Rogers given a go as well. He's yet to start a game since joining them, and I think he could be a really, really big player for them. If if McCarthy gets those two firing, they should easily stay up, shouldn't they? Because they're two marvellously talented players. will also help if players stop getting sent off nice. as well. It, yeah, Platpool's ninth sending off of the season. Ninth. Cannot emphasise that enough. I was having a look back. In the previous five championship seasons, no team has managed more than seven sending off, sendings off. And we've still got a third of the season to go. Uh, the last team to have 10 or more sendings offs in the championship, Justin, was Blackpool in the 2013-14 <laughs> season. Uh, must be something in the sticks of rock you get up there that makes it really <laughs> aggressive because I cannot think of any other explanation for it. Reading 2, Rotherham 1. Reading coming from a goal behind here before Tyrese Fauna scoring a last-minute winner. What a header by Andy Carroll for the first. We had some good headers in a, the, the, this midweek round of games. I think... Going back to him and his pomp, he's one of the best players the Premier League has ever seen in the air, isn't he? Yeah. And he's still got that despite being, you know, mid-30s now. I don't know. Is it something you ever lose, um, being good at heading? Because it's just, I mean, it is a skill, but it's not It's not like a physical skill, is it? Obviously, you need to get off the ground, so having well, a good well, spring helps. In fairness to Cavill, when you think of, you know, the players who in Premier League era, are the best in the air. I'm, I guess you're thinking of Crouch, for example. Shearer. Maybe Shearer, yeah. These kind of players, because they're obviously so tall, uh, maybe not Shearer, maybe we can discount him, but because they're so tall, they don't have to work on their jumping when they're developing. Whereas Carroll is a big, tall boy, but he's also got he's one hell of a jump on him, hasn't he? Yeah. And that's why I think if you're ranking it purely on how good they are in the air, Andy Carroll is probably the best there is uh, we've seen in the Premier League because he's just brilliant at it, isn't he? And I bet if you if you looked at the amount of headed goals he scored compared to how many games he's actually played because he was obviously injured quite a lot, I bet, I bet he must be right up there. Yeah, hopefully he scores another header between now and then. I mean, he probably will do. Um, but that'll be a good start to find out is what his headed goal to ratio Headed goals to game ratio is because that would be impressive um, mm. because he is a bit of a cart horse running wise. So yeah, certainly not going to get anything out of his legs. But <laughs> put the ball in the air, he's, he's going to get it. Yeah, it was a, it was a yeah great headed goal. And um, if, as long as you put as long as your delivery is good, he's always going to be a threat, isn't he? Um, I think it's just a, the thing is that you probably should have more goals if that's the case. But yeah, Reading go go up and down, don't they? Yeah, in, in a way, I'm, I'm surprised that it took. How many months was it? It took about two or three months for someone to actually pick up Andy Carroll, didn't they, on a free, mm. considering he was without a club for so long. I think many he's still clubs... Still yeah, yeah. And he's, he's still got it, hasn't he? he? He's obviously not the player that he once was, but he's still very capable at this level. And, you yeah. know, Reading, they'll love having a player like him, especially with, with Paul Lintz ball. But I think plenty of other clubs may have may wish they had a look at him as well. Reading had been slowly sliding down the league, so this was an important win to stem the tide somewhat for them. Uh, Rotherham could have really done with holding on to this point. They've had some good results recently, considering the opposition, and I think they have been playing well, but it's only two wins from 17. The, the teams in that relegation battle are 
really struggling for wins on the board, aren't they? Uh, particularly this season. I, I don't recall seasons past where the, the bottom five teams have struggled so much mm. to get a uh, three points uh, as rarely as these guys do. Richie Ocre scored for the first time since Boxing Day as Coventry beat Millwall 1-0. He could have scored quite a few in this one, Justin, but that goal was brilliant. Shrugs off Charlie Cresswell with a nice bit of fud work before blasting it in from 25 yards out. The men the man really can score any type of goal. He's such a brilliant forward, isn't he? Despite his mini drought that he's been on, he's still got the confidence to score that type of goal. And that's what makes him so bloody good. Very good win for Coventry. Just their second in nine, despite struggling recently. They're also another side, not a million miles off the top six. Although that's probably unlikely still, isn't it? I think it is, yeah. I think it's just a lack of depth in that team that's probably going to prove to be the issue. Callum O'Hare getting injured, Matty Goddins having to come back to, to form and fitness. Um, there's just a lot of variables working against them. But should they still be within a shadow, like a lot of teams, six games to go and they put a run together because they've shown that they can do that, um, then it, it could be an interesting end of the season for them. But they might just miss out. Um, as you say, Ben she has been ruled out for, for six weeks, which isn't ideal. But they cope, with, they cope without him in this game. And obviously, I mentioned Callum O'Hare, but Casey Palmer's picked up. So there's a lot of this, but some maybes with commentary, which is probably why you wouldn't go, yeah, they're going to make a late run. Um, but still a, a fairly steady season, considering what they had to contend with. Yeah, this is only Millwall's fourth loss since the start of October, which is pretty damn impressive from them, isn't it? Preston and Luton drew one all. Probably a better result for Preston than it is Luton. Preston's home form is terrible, isn't it? While Luton's away form is pretty good. So I think many would have expected a Luton win here. The thing is, for the Hatters, they've set themselves a good pace now, haven't they? And they need to keep it up if they're going to finish in the top six. And this isn't a great result by their now fairly lofty standards but I says I suppose that says a lot about how far they've come mm. this season and then finally Bristol City won Wigan won Wigan still unbeaten under Sean Maloney they're not creating a whole lot it's got to be said but they continue to look a lot more solid uh, under Colo Torre they look like they could have very easily conceded four each game <laughs> that doesn't seem to be the case anymore baby steps at the very least under Maloney but they've still got a long way to go right now it's time for this Yes, it's time for the news and he's back, baby. Neil Warnock has been reappointed Huddersfield manager until the end of the season. It comes after the sacking of Mark Fotheringham. I'm quite annoyed by this appointment, Justin, and I'll tell you why. Huddersfield have been crap this season and they deserve to go down. But I think appointing Warnock is a bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card. The reason Huddersfield are in this terrible position is because of how calamitously the club has been run over the past eight months. And I think those in charge may now get away with it and not get relegated because they've appointed Neil Warnock. And I'm not saying I want Huddersfield to get relegated by any means, but it's quite irritating that clubs think they can just press this Neil Warnock button and make all of their self-made problems go away. And that may very well happen. Will he keep Huddersfield up? I'm not sure. His record at this level is obviously phenomenal, as we all know. And if I was in charge of Huddersfield right now and desperate to stay up and make amends for the mess that we've made, I would probably press the Neil Warnock button myself. What I will say is it seems like Warnock's magical powers have 
been waning a bit recently. His final mm-hmm. season at Cardiff didn't go to plan in his Middlesbrough spell. Saw an initial bounce before underwhelming a bit. Also, this Huddersfield squad is bad. Without a doubt, one of the worst in the Championship, if not the worst. So he will need his magical powers to be in top shape to try and keep this team up. I wouldn't rule that out, though, because this is Neil Warnock we're talking about. And even though he should be enjoying enjoying retirement now in Scarborough somewhere, there's a reason why clubs keep calling him up, because he's bloody Neil Warnock. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with a lot of what he said. Uh, a hell of a lot. Um, firstly, just he's 74 years old. Um, <laughs> the man should be enjoying his retirement. Let's get that really, let's get that bluntly out there. He should be, he should have his feet up. Um, he's already mastered Photoshop and Adobe Suite. We know that with his Twitter account. Um, he's, he's an incredible human being. Um, but just just let him relax. He doesn't need this in his life at this age. I, God forbid I, my granddad ever did that um, at 74. Um, but fair play to him. He's, he's obviously still got a buzz. Um, but my concerns are is that, well, my concern is that um, this Huddersfield, Huddersfield team is poor. Um, you've mentioned that his magic may have been waning. Obviously, his Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough spell ended with massive inconsistency, and that was over a year ago. Um, and I do think that whilst he's got a very good history of getting a lot out of teams in a, uh, a short space of time and miraculously turning them around in some, on some occasions, he's only done this once before. I know he had he took over that Middlesbrough team with three games to go, but they shouldn't have been in that they shouldn't have been in relegation trouble that season. They had a good squad, so it's just that Rotherham season where he took over um, and they went on that miraculous run and they got out of it. It feels different this time because this Huddersfield team is is poor. That Rotherham team was dreadful. He made a lot of free agent signings, um, which helped, but I just feel that maybe this might be one step too far because there are a lot of good teams with good players down there. Um, and I don't think Huddersfield are one of them, to be honest with you. And I just feel it's too far for him. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you on that, Justin. Got to be said as well, if he wasn't as retired as we thought he was, it makes you wonder why Cardiff didn't get him in when they were on the lookout for a manager because, you know, fan favourite as well, considering what he did there not yeah. too long ago. Dozy Mabusi's proposed takeover of Sheffield United has not yet satisfied the requirements of EFL regulations. The Nigerian businessman was confident of completing a £90 million takeover, but the EFL has said in an official statement it's not had a response to a number of queries. It says, therefore, it won't let a takeover happen until it's satisfied. It sounded like this was going to happen, Justin, but now seems a bit 50-50. Um, I think that's okay. I think that the EFL are doing their jobs and we can't criticise them of that. Obviously, it feels a bit like bureaucracy is getting in the way, but this needs to happen to avoid um, to avoid um, situations like Derby were in last year, for example. Um, yeah, we could say a lot about that now. Um, but I think it's a good thing that these, these checks are being made, these questions are being asked, um, because, as I say, it stops rogue owners coming into the club. Um, and if and Bucci doesn't answer them or respond to them, then he's clearly not the right owner for the for, for the blades. It's as simple as that. Um, so I've got no got no issue with it. It's just a, a hindrance. But at this point in time, they've still got two or three months to get it over the line before the end of the season. So there's time on the side. 
is worth saying that a report this week by Inside World Football claims Mabusi owes £30,000 in rent on a property in St Albans. Now, friend of the show, Kieran Maguire, tweeted a picture of this property and got to be said, not the kind of home you'd associate with a billionaire. It just looks like your standard two-bedroom house and apparently he was renting it only in 2020. So, Interesting. It's not the first concerning report we've had about him and, you know, the debate over how wealthy this guy actually is. There were, of course, the reports not too long ago about him being a director of an airline which has not actually flown a plane and his company in Nigeria, which had wiped off, I think it was £7 billion off its stock market value. And you didn't mishear me there. Seven billion pounds, which is interesting to say <laughs> the very least. So, I mean, going back to the renting thing, it's a slippery slope, isn't it? If he's failing to pay rent for properties, who's to say he won't be failing to pay player wages if he does take over Sheffield United a bit further down the line? But as I say, these are just reports, we can't emphasize that enough. Let's just treat them as such for now. And this takeover may very well get done. Sheffield United need this takeover to get done as well because yeah, apparently it's saving them from potentially going into administration not too far down the line because the current owner seems to want out and is had enough of uh, losing money. So, yeah, interesting times for the Blades off the pitch, even though things have been going quite well on the pitch. Birmingham say they're appalled and saddened by alleged racist abuse towards Troy Deeney by a fan in the home end at St Andrews. It happened towards the end of their game against Cardiff. West Midlands Police says it's investigating the allegations. Now, Obviously, there's no excuse for racism in any situation anyway, but for it to come from the home end, directed at one of your own players, it's just crazy. Connor Wickham has joined Cardiff on a deal until the end of the season. The striker was a free agent after leaving Forest Green. Isworth saying Cardiff will be Wickham's sixth club in the last three years. And only one of those was on loan. He's really been bouncing between clubs, hasn't he? Commentary defender Carl McFadson has agreed a new contract with Sky Blues. It runs until the end of next season. His current deal is set to expire this summer. Defender Jack Watmore has signed a new two-and-a-half-year deal with Wigan. It will keep him at the club until 2025. I quite like Watmore. He's been one of Wigan's best players this season. So great news for them. If I'm being perfectly honest, I think he could probably do better than them. But if he's happy there, then that's all that matters. In injury news, Huddersfield fullback Ollie Turton is out for the rest of the season. He did his ACL against Wigan at the weekend. So horrible news for him. And finally, defender Alfie Mawson has retired from football at the age of 29. He's been playing for Wickham this season, but has played quite a few championship games over the last few years. He's decided to do it because of a knee injury. Had a strange career, really, anti Justin. He was called up to the England squad only in 2018. So think mm. back to the World Cup before the last one. He was not too far away from that, which is a strange thought. And then moved to Fulham for 20 million that same year. Ended up only playing 46 games for them. But it seems like injuries maybe the explanation for that lack of game time. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? It's really sad because um, he was a good ball playing defender. Maybe not uh, to a standard of international level, but maybe just made the wrong moves as well. Because obviously that was moved to Swansea was a, a big money move, and um, the, the move to Fulham was probably the wrong one as well. But it happens. It's it's sad, um, but he's in a, he's in a good place because he said he'd, he'd fallen back in love with football and he, he'd ended it on a good note. So um, yeah, there's a positive there to to come out of it. But yeah, disappointing that he couldn't hit his potential, but. It happens in football. 
Yeah, of course, we wish him all the best in whatever he decides to do next. Right, now it's time for this. Did he? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is address whether they play for that club or not. We've got to have made a senior appearance for them. We're taking turns to guess them and we get scores as the season goes on. This week, it's my turn to provide the players and club and Justin's turn to guess with the scores 95-93. It's my colleague for the season. Justin, would you like the first player? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind it. Thank you. Good. The first one is Sam Vokes and Reading. Did he or didn't he? Mm, that's a tricky one because he played for a lot of clubs on loan. It's, it's at Bournemouth books as well. Went to Wolves. Reading. I could see him in the blue and white stripes. Why not? Yes, he played for Reading. A loan spell. He didn't. I made it up. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, Sam Vokes is one of those players whose career I do not know very well at all. Um, Stoke legend though uh, zero out of one for Justin Peach next up Nathan Redmond and Port Vale did he or didn't he he came through at Birmingham City very very young um, really young and then went to the Premier League so I can't see a loan to Port Vale being a factor he's certainly not that now he's only in the big books in Turkey um, so yeah definitely not at Vale Park so I'm going to say no. But you've got a smirk on your face, and it's a psychological thing that viewers can't see. So there's a big battle here um, from a visionary perspective. Uh, but I'm going to say no. I can't keep a straight face when I play this game. I really should, but I really can't. Um, you'd be correct. He didn't. Play oh. for One out of two. The reason I included that was because I found out that he went on loan to Burton, but didn't actually play for them. So mm. I was going to include that before realising he hadn't played for them. Um, and I knew you wouldn't have got that. Um, mm. There you go. One out of two. Next up, Bradley Johnson and Brighton. Did he or didn't he? Came through at Northampton. Went to Leeds. Went to Norwich. Obviously now MK Dons with a spell at Derby. Don't think he played for Brighton, though. Sorry, I was having a drink. Ten appearances <laughs> on loan in 2008. Hey. Ah, yeah. Balls. One out of three. Danny Drinkwater and Cardiff. Did he or didn't he? I'm not on it today. Uh, yes, go on then. Yeah. They had a lot of Man United loanies at one point. Nine appearances on loan in 2010. You'd be correct. Two <laughs> out of four. Ida Good Johnson and Sunderland. Did he or didn't he? Should know this, but he popped up at a few random places, didn't he? Um, is this Idaho Johnson, the son, or Idaho Johnson, the dad, by the way? It's not the dad. <laughs> I'm not going to test you on a Idaho Johnson senior's career. <laughs> that would be harsh. Um, Idaho Johnson came off the bench to replace his dad in an Icelandic international game one, uh, one year, which is a nice mm, little fact. It's which everybody one knows. of the most well-known trivia facts <laughs> ever. <laughs> That was someone who doesn't know it. Um, I like Johnson Sunderland. Don't know. Um, so, no. He didn't. Made it up. Uh, he did play for Stoke. And I, mm, I thought strikes. you may... Yeah. <laughs> I thought that may have messed with your mind a bit. Um, I should have said Stoke, so I didn't know that. Yeah. What did I? It's, 
the the tricky thing about this game is knowing what you know and trying to figure out whether you know it or not. But you've got very random memory with some of your players. Three out of five. Next up is Josh Laron and Blackpool. Did he or didn't he? Uh, I should know this because I spoke to him for a second tier meet. <laughs> he did. <laughs> um, it, was, it was at Shrewsbury. Um, he was at Blackpool. He was at Blackpool. Yeah, I think he played like six games at Blackpool. He didn't. Made it up. <laughs> oh, no. no, no. <laughs> Who was it? Who was it? I think you're thinking of Wigan. Oh. It's embarrassing when you even interviewed the guy. Yeah. Three out of six. Next up, David Bentley in Crystal Palace. Did he or didn't he? No. No, not Palace. I was on his Wikipedia page not too long ago, weirdly. He didn't. You'd be correct. Four out of seven. Cal McFadden and Lincoln. Did he or didn't he? That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, he was at Burton. He was at Coventry. He came off. He, he was on the books at um, Sheffield United. Who was the club again? Sorry. Lincoln. Lincoln. Um, I'm going to say No. You'd be correct. He didn't. Five out of eight. I'll tell you what, you've actually done a good score here. I thought you were doing poorly. Uh, this is number nine. Steve Simonson and Preston. Did he or didn't he? Yeah, he missed the penalty. He missed that penalty, didn't he, for, for Preston? He did. In the player final. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he joined in 2012. Was there for a season, played 10 games. Six out of nine. And finally, Alex Pritchard and Peterborough. Did he or didn't he? It just seems like a move he'd make on loan. And Spurs, Spurs, Peter Brad, a good relationship um, with loan players. Um, so I'm going to say yes on that basis. Six appearances on loan in 2013. You'd be correct. Seven out of 10 for Justin Peach. Yeah, but you started off poorly, I think. And that made me think that you were doing bad. But actually, seven out of ten is a pretty good score, really, isn't it? There was a lot of guesses. Uh, I recovered quite well there because um, I was I was craning. I'm 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 tired. I'm really hungry as well, uh, which doesn't help. You're always you bloody drink. tired. You're always moaning about being tired, Justin. You need to get some more sleep. Well, it doesn't help that I've recorded at seven a.m. and you're sunning it up at half nine over in the southern hemisphere. You southerner. What southerner? <laughs> <laughs> what time do you go to sleep? Oh, I was late. I was doing the, my notes. You should be glad I was doing my research into you this podcast. Do research, but still, I didn't get up earlier instead. No, it's not happening. I, I fell asleep thinking about where I can put a charging port for my potential electric car as well. I didn't fall asleep, actually. I was just overthinking boring. You live such a thrilling life, don't you? On that note, I think that's a good time to end <laughs> in the second tier podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday to talk about all the games coming up in the championship this very weekend. So we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Year Pod. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.